At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Victoria Fernandez, Chief Market Strategist at Crossmark Global Investments. Tonight on Fast FedEx shares on the move after reporting results. The company's conference call is about to kick off. We'll bring you all the big headlines, plus Nikola shares tumbling in the after hours on reports. The Justice Department is now looking into claims the company misled investors. We'll bring you all the late-breaking details. And later, Steve Grosso is taking the mound to pitch his next best idea why he thinks this beaten-down retail stock is a total home-run investment. All that. But first, the latest from today's and also the latest from today's Apple event. We start off with the major sell-off in the financials. The sector, the biggest drag in the market today with the XLF falling more than 1.3%. Citi dropping another 7% today. The company under pressure over the possibility that regulators could crack down on the bank's risk management systems. The stock is now down more than 12% in the past two sessions. Guy, what's your take on the banks overall, Citi in particular? Well, congrats. You know, Dan Nathan's been talking about this for a while. And one of the things we've said is, you know, banks, today's banks are much different than they were 10 years ago. They've become utilities and you have to sort of uh, you have to look at them differently and you have to factor in valuations much differently. I'll say this quickly about Citi. Right now at forty five dollars, effectively where we closed, stock is now trading 63 percent of tangible book, assuming that that tangible book of $71.88 is accurate and you take them at their word. That's levels we last saw probably in the financial crisis. These are trough valuations in terms of price of tangible book. The flip side of that, though, Mel, is that I think Warren Buffett told you everything you need to know about U.S. banks. I'm not going to say he fled the banks, but he's obviously paring down exposures in banks at a time where a lot of people are looking to add banks. So I think that tells you a lot as well. In terms of city. You have to say play in the long game here and say City will figure this out. And this trough valuation in terms of tangible book, if you have a time horizon, this is about as good as it gets in a historical uh, measure. I get the discount uh, that is trading relative to peers. But, Victoria, shouldn't it be in the penalty box a little bit here? I mean, if you've got the OCC and the Federal Reserve looking into you um, and you have this sort of track record where you have also in the past been behind the curve when it comes to uh, conforming with the regulatory demands. I'm thinking of w- the time in the great financial crisis when they were among the last banks to reinstate their dividend. I mean, it, this is a, a company that's had trouble in the past, too. That's true. And Guy is right that the banks are in better shape than they were back in that time. But still, risk management is key. And when that's being called into question, you have to have some concerns about the bank in general. We're not huge fans of the banks or the financial sector in general, but we have actually been buying J.P. Morgan. In our opinion, if you're going to have to buy a bank, you need to look at that management team. You need to look at that balance sheet. For us, J.P. Morgan is probably the best of those banks. So even though we're still underweight banks, we're underweight the financial sector, we don't hold city. J.P. Morgan would be our choice if you want to have some exposure there. It's going to get new management, Tim, in the form of Jane Fraser. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, look, the news cycle around City, boy, think, think about what we're, we're uh, analyzing these headlines over the last couple of weeks. And, and there's an argument that, that Jane Fraser's background, especially her KPMG days, uh, management and, and risk profile and, and understanding some of these dynamics and the restructuring that the bank claims is almost done. And yet sounds like there's still a lot to do. Um, I think she's the right person for the job. But if you think about Citibank relative to the other money setter banks, worst in class returns. Mike Mayo was on. He was talking about uh, I think he, he kind of dubbed their strategy as ABC, which is A is asset sales, B is buybacks, and C ultimately is a, a case where they're, they're starting to uh, get through some of the restructuring that needs to be done. But ultimately, it's about the cost side of the balance sheet and where that's really been the only place you've been excited. So um, Guy pointed out the multiple. Um, how about 84 million shares trading today? 84, which is about four times over the last uh, four months volume, but the most share volume you've seen in this bank since March of 2014, which, you know, on a two-day basis when you consider the entirety of the move, uh, unless there's something much bigger here that the market is sniffing out and the market likes to, uh, to find things that maybe we cannot, um, this does seem like an opportunity in terms of oversold. I'm long Citibank, so to be clear, I hope so. Um, but uh, unless there's new news about some uh, egregious oversight rather than systemic issues, uh, I think we're okay. Well, the, the pace of the selling, as you, as you point out, Tim, I mean, Steve Grasso, with the OCC and the Federal Reserve in there, investors probably go right to, is the dividend safe? Are share buybacks safe? Are, are those things still going to be allowed? I, I mean, that's sort of the worst case scenario here. Right. So I think those things are going to be allowed. But I think the bigger picture is this is at the epicenter of value versus growth. So if you're going to be an investor in banks, people are going to go for J.P. Morgan or Bank America or go to the brokerage, Goldman, Morgan. Those are the names, but, but Mike Santoli pointed out an interesting fact. Most of the dedicated analysts from five and 10 years ago are now covering Square and PayPal and Visa. So it's lost its luster and they're going more into FinTech space. So I think I would still avoid the banks, quite honestly. Guy Dami, here's a provocative would you rather, since that's what we, we like to do. Oh, I love this. Provoke Isn't thought. that from a French word, provocateur? Go ahead, sorry. Per I'm perhaps, peut-être, as they say in French. Um, Square or JP Morgan? Square. Oh, oh, no, Square, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think the growth potential for Square is still there. I, I, listen, we understand that it's had a ridiculous run and people will cast dispersions on valuation, but you're talking about a company with growth potential as opposed to one where I think you sort of know what the ceiling is. And in terms of J.P. Morgan, we pointed this out for a while. You know, you get you put, sort of put a 1.8 price to tangible book. You get $115 stock, and you go back and look. That's exactly where it topped out in June, whereas a name like Square, to me, despite the fact that it's going to have volatility to the downside, I think that's where the growth is. So I think Steve would probably agree. I'd rather be, given the game, would you rather? Square, SQ. Victoria, your favorite non-bank financial, if you have one. We actually do. S&P Global um, is something we've been buying in the financial arena. Like we said, we're not a big fan of the banks. Um, we agree with Steve on that, but we had to have some exposure. We don't want to be bare the banks completely, so the J.P. Morgan play. But to look for other things, S&P Global is a great way to have some exposure there. It's sticky business. It's high margins. They have low net debt. So for us, S&P Global is a great way to be in the financial space without being a bank. All right, let's get on. Uh, move to Apple here, the company unleashing a of new gadgets and services today at a big product event, but investors kind of shrugged at the news. Let's get to Josh Lipton with all the details. Josh. 
So, Melissa, let's start with that new hardware. Apple today unveiling the new iPad Air that starts at $599, a price jump for that device. It will be available next month. 10.9-inch display with what the company calls a huge boost in performance. Question is whether this helps boost iPad sales in the quarters ahead, which have benefited, we know, as more people are now working, learning, and playing at home. Two new watches as well. Remember, Apple dominates 53% of that global smartwatch market, according to Strategy Analytics. Now introducing the new Series 6, which can measure blood oxygen, starting at $399, and a lower-cost option, too, the Watch SE starting at $279. Analysts estimate that only about 10% of iPhone owners have the watch. In other words, they see the potential for strong growth ahead. News on services as well. The long-rumored services bundle is announced. Apple One, Apple's take here on Amazon Prime bundle comes in three different tiers starting at $14.95 per month, includes Apple Music, TV, Arcade, and iCloud storage, and a new fitness service for the watch as well, where users will be able to access a catalog of workout videos. That's going to cost you $9.99 per month. Melissa, back to you. Josh, and I understand there's also a hand-washing function on the watch, which I don't really understand how, how that works. Well, that's actually part of the new watch OS, the new watch operating system, which does come with new features. The idea is it tells you if you spent enough time washing your hands. I mean, I, th I think the broader point with the watch, with the new watch OS, is they keep hammering home this idea that the watch is a health and fitness device. So far, it's, it's obviously been finding a lot of fans, 50% market share. We'll see how these ones catch on. I want a function that tells me if other people are washing their hands enough, not me. Uh, but Josh, <laughs> thank you. Josh Lipton. Um, in terms of the ecosystem, all these new devices are important to that, Tim, but it's the subscription, so I'm, I'm wondering what you make of these bundles. I think the bundles are interesting, and I think as you get into the healthcare, and that was really where the headlines were coming and, and the impact on uh, a couple of the other stocks that have started to steal a little bit of the subscription bundle uh, at home for healthcare, Peloton, et cetera. But uh, this is what we've known for Apple for a long time, and this is what we've been waiting for. And I don't think there was anything earth-shattering here. Uh, but again, this, this Apple One bundle, which gives you uh, the essentially a collection of services that are part of the suite. Some or all of those are things people are already paying a la carte for. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think ultimately Apple is going to continue to take a bigger part uh, of the services uh, revenue stream from, from a household. And I think uh, ultimately the healthcare dynamic and everything that people are obsessed with these days, including your, your oxygen level and your blood, which is a, a very simple reading, frankly. You can buy devices off of Amazon for almost nothing that do this. But it is something that people are looking at almost every day. And I think Apple, in terms of daily health care and regular routine and observation, I think this is very important. I think they're called pulse oximeters, Guy. Um, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what, Guy? You're, sh you're shaking your head. What? No, I'm shaking my head because you said you need an application from the application store to let you know when people have washed their hands. It's called the Vision app, Mel. Actually, you use your eyes for that one. Or, for some people, it's called the Smell application, because as you know, some people out there have very stinky hands. That would be my pushback there, number one. Number two, the great Jeff Mills, the general, if you recall, actually power-pitched uh, S&P Global. And I know he's watching right now, shaking his head up and down like this. And number three, I know everybody loves Apple, but over the last uh, many years, You've had five or six major peak to trough declines, mm -hmm. averaging about 34%. And right now we're about 17% potentially into one. So 
it was a bit of a yawn fest for me. But, of course, you know, somebody who only goes to the application store a few times a year, it would be a yawn fest. I mean, it's a big trip for you to get in the car and go to the application store. Steve, I know you watch the <laughs> charts here. So you think we're in the midst of this of this drawdown? Yeah, I, I agree with Guy. I'm looking for, so last week we saw the 110 level hold in Apple. You look at the uh, moving average there is the 109 and a half level or so. I think we're going to break that level. I think we're going to trade to the mid 90s. The two. Think we lost. I say we're going to get there. Oh, there but we I, go. go ahead, Steve. But I do believe we're going to trade below $100 in Apple. So I'm looking for a mid-90s print. I'm out of the name currently. And I do believe that you, you will see very shortly Apple in the mid-90s. That opens the door to the 200-day moving average, which is at $83. And that'll be the make-or-break line for Apple. All right. Let's bring in Gene Munster of Loop Ventures to get his take on what went on today. Gene, good to see you as always. Um, what do you think is the I'm single most important uh, announcement Apple made today? Well, first, of all, I just want to mention to Steve, I'll take the over on that. I think uh, the stock is going to continue to move higher, in part because what we saw today it was really a layer below the surface, the key takeaway. It was less about what products were announced, more about how this company is masterfully upselling its consumers. This is what they've done over the past 20 years, is take larger screen iPhones, more capacity in the iPhone, maybe more feature-rich AirPods, taking those and having consumers reach they did it three times today. And uh, whether it's the SE is going to get people to motivate to get to the, the most recent Apple Watch, whether it's what they're doing around bundling to get people to buy more, or what they did around the pricing with the iPad Air, I think this company has a competitive advantage. One last thought on that, this masterful price segmentation and upsell, is that they can get away with it. And the reason is that they have some of the world's best products. And I think uh, I try to view this as judicious as possible. I don't particularly like using their marketing language, but they do have great products, and consumers see uh, the trade-off, the price premium relative to value. So I think you're going to continue to see ASPs inch up here, and that was my big takeaway. When you think about the what is in the bundles, Gene, I mean, it seems like some services, uh, there wasn't really great consumer uptake when it comes to, I don't know, maybe music, maybe not as big as, as what some might have thought. So how do you think about what they are upselling um, in, in that incremental dollar that they're getting from that subscription? So there's essentially six uh, services that they're bundling together. They have about 500 million subscribers. So just kind of keep that into context. We're taking six products that are spread out over 500 million subscribers and you're bundling them. And the math works out that anytime you bundle someone above $8, that's incremental revenue. The bundles start at 15 and go to $30. I think when you put all of this together, this bundling aspect, you're going to get to see 25 to 50% lift. It's still a small part of their business. All those six products that I just mentioned account for about $4 billion in revenue or just under 2%. So uh, a nice move. They will get uh, upsell with this, but it's still that piece is probably a little bit too small to move the needle. Hey, Gene, it's Tim. So agree on services being uh, obviously a more exciting part of the story. Can you uh, refresh for us or break down your valuation and, and how you are valuing the pieces? Because this, this seems to be the story with uh, you know, how you come up with a level on Apple. So I, I take a different approach. I'm more at what earnings growth is going to be. I understand the, 
value around looking at this kind of a sum of the parts. I think that ultimately, if you fast forward a year from now, in 2021, we're going to be thinking about 2022 estimates. I think that uh, ultimately, if you take a 35 times my 2022 estimate, that yields a $200 stock price. Uh, that's a $3.4 trillion market cap, staggering number. Uh, you may think that I've uh, lost my, my, my sense of guidance here, but ultimately, I think that this is very achievable. And I would kind of put this concept about the segments and, and this traditional view, understand the traditional view of Apple. I think that view is slowly fading away. I think that uh, uh, investors are progressively looking at this more as a holistic. And I think we're going to really see the hammer on that theme a few years from now when they start bundling hardware and services. We saw it today for the first time around services bundle. But I envision that they will have a product where you pay Apple a certain month you get all of your hardware and software needs. Only Apple can pull that off. There's no other company in the world. And consumers want it. They're getting more put on their plate in terms of their tech needs. They want to make this easy. And Apple has a chance to redefine how investors think about their revenue as really a services business entirely. All right. Gene, always great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Gene Munster Thank you. of Loop Ventures. Uh, Victoria, what are your thoughts on Apple here? Well, you know, we actually started trimming our Apple position about a month ago, not because we didn't like the company, but for the sheer fact that it had, had such high, um, such a big run that it was an overweight in our portfolio. I think if you don't own Apple currently, you can use the pullback that we've seen over the last couple of weeks as an entry point and start going in. I like the bundle that we're having. I mean, I already pay for three of those items separately, so a bundle makes sense. I also like the fitness um, app that they put on there as well. I mean, I waited five weeks to get my Peloton delivered. You've got Mirror, you've got Beachbody, you've got all these other um, fitness apps that are out there. So I think that'll be beneficial for Apple. Again, we're not adding to it at this point because we're full in the position, but if you don't own it, maybe start building your position. To the point Victoria is making on some of the competing uh, apps out there, Guy, I know you're a big fan of the Beachbody app, but I'm, I'm curious because, you know, if you take a look at Pandora, for instance, <laughs> Pandora is 10 bucks a month. Because he has one. Um, Dropbox Plus is 10 bucks a month. I mean, is there a risk that, that this subscription, these bundles actually harm others out there who are offering standalone services? No question. I mean, and that you saw, obviously, I mean, that Peloton's obviously a little bit different. With that said, I mean, you saw the knee-jerk reaction of Peloton right off the bat after Apple announced this. So there's always the fear that, you know, some companies are Amazon. Well, in this world, some companies can be apple But, you know, with that said, I do think they're a faction of people that still like individual things instead. You know, the whole bundle thing, it sounds very confining to me. And as you know, Mel, I'm not somebody that wants to be confined so I'd rather just, you know, pick and choose my applications as opposed to have it under one uh, umbrella or domiciled under one house. Okay. Coming up, another twist in the Nikola saga, the new report that has shares moving lower again in the after-hour session. Plus, Walmart gets primed, the company upping the ante against Amazon today, why one of our traders is betting big on Walmart Plus. And we are all over the after-hours action in shares of FedEx. The company's call is about to kick off. We'll bring you all the details when Fast Money returns. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story on Nikola. Shares tumbling in the after-hour session. Let's get to Phil LeBeau, who's got the details. Phil. And Melissa, they are under pressure because it appears there are now two agencies that are investigating Nikola. This afternoon, two reports, one from Dow Jones, one from the FT, saying that the Department of Justice, specifically the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, has made inquiries to Nikola regarding the fraud claims. By the way, we have reached out to Nikola no comment at all. We've been unable to hear anything back from the company regarding this report of the DOJ investigating company. Remember, yesterday the report came out that the SEC is also looking into these fraud claims surrounding Nikola. Nikola, for its part, says, look, we reached out proactively last Friday to the SEC and we said, look, we want you to look into these claims that were made by Hindenburg Research. Those claims, about 43 of them, essentially saying that this is an intricate fraud that Nikola is uh, perpetrating here and that uh, basically investors are on the hook. Again, what you heard from Nikola, not only on Friday, but also on Monday, was a refuting of those claims from Hindenburg. But today, Hindenburg doubled down, issuing another report, basically saying we view Nikola's response as a tacit admission of securities fraud. That tacit admission is because one of the claims from Hindenburg Research was that a semi-truck that was filmed by Nikola back in 2017 was not actually propelling itself. It was being rolled down a hill. It was in motion. It was not an actual driving vehicle. I'm showing you General Motors because General Motors has said, look, we did pr appropriate diligence when it comes to looking into Nikola before striking the deal where General Motors takes an 11% stake. Nikola will have its Badger electric pickup truck built by General Motors. Um, that's the latest in terms of what we have at this point, Melissa. But what's interesting here is we have heard nothing, nothing at all from the chairman of Nikola, Trevor Milton. And these two investigations, you have to wonder if this takes away the real oxygen that has pushed this stock higher over the last month. And that's Trevor Milton on social media. He was out there on Friday. He has not been out there since then. Yeah, he had um, that sort of monologue that had some yep. you know profanity in it that we bleeped out we, we aired part of that um it's amazing phil because bloomberg actually had that report about about the pickup truck or the truck the semi truck i should say not actually being functional at an event Correct. a long time ago so they are on to this whole thing has gm not really said has they not said anything they have not said anything and i think general motors position and and this is purely conjecture based on conversations with people at the company i think their position at this point is look we didn't pay anything. We have made an agreement with Nikola to build the Badger electric pickup truck. If this turns out that Nikola is really not what everybody thought it was going to be, what's the worst that happens? They no longer build it. It's a little embarrassing for General Motors since they said they did uh, appropriate diligence. Um, so from General Motors' perspective, you know, it's too early to pull the plug, so to speak. Yeah, you can't be happy to see that Nikola... Uh, maybe under investigation, but at the same point, look, there's the possibility that this could ultimately all wash out and they do build this Badger electric pickup truck. And if you're General Motors, Mary Barra has said time and again, Nikola gives them the potential for size and scale, and that's the real attractive part of this deal for them. Phil, thank you.
Phil LeBeau on this, uh, what's becoming a very complicated story. Steve Grasso, I, I think that's an interesting point. It didn't cost GM any money, basically. So it's sort of an option on the success of this company. Yeah, when I look at this, the, we're caught up in reading tea leaves now. So you have to look at technical. So I'll start there. So the 2875 is your near-term support. We're a blink of an eye away from that. And then you have your 200-day, which is 2562. Having said that, when you have GM, maybe GM is advising them, and, I, and this is all me just guessing here, but maybe GM is advising them not to speak. Maybe GM is advising them not to, not, not to open their mouths because of, uh, uh, of the profanity that we heard last week. They don't like the look of that. Having said that, if GM says they did their due diligence, I think you've got to count that as a huge bullish point. So where Phil said uh, maybe they could just walk away, it'll be a little embarrassing. I am more constructive on this, but I would like to see some levels get tested. And ultimately, if it holds the 200-day, I'd be willing to take a flyer, small, or play it however you, you feel confident in. But I think the stock probably eventually moves higher as soon as we hear something good. I mean, if GM really did due diligence, Guy, this would really um, put questions in my head, some doubts about any future deal that GM partakes in at all. It's not like there was no uh, question about this company before. As I mentioned to Phil, there was that Bloomberg article about the semi-truck that was not functional at an unveil uh, function. Yeah, and, th and that would be my concern. I understand what Phil's saying, and I think Tim's sort of in that camp as well. I don't want to speak for Tim, but I can understand why... For some people, it would just be viewed as a, as a slight embarrassment to General Motors. I totally get that. Uh, I also think the other side of the coin is what you point out, that if GM says they did their due diligence and there is something here, to me that's problematic. But let me say one other thing. Uh, the agencies that are doing their due diligence are doing exactly that. It doesn't mean that Nikola is guilty of anything. And to Steve's point, whether it's General Motors telling Mr. Milton or his lawyers not to say anything, that doesn't necessarily mean anything other than they want him to be quiet. So they can, I'll use the word exonerated, it's the w wrong word, but for lack of a better one, you know, in a week from now, we could be talking about Nikola being cleared of these charges by these agencies and the stock trading significantly higher. That's the flip side of the coin. Again, uh, at least for me, knowing nothing about any of the accusations or the veracity of them. Coming up, the three certainties in life, death, taxes, and the Fed. Why Canaccord Genuities, Tony Dwyer says we could be headed back to new all-time highs, but he does have one day caveat. Plus, shares of FedEx sharply higher in the after-hour session on earnings. The company's conference call is about to get underway. We're all over it when Fast Money returns. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track, we care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey 
can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. The market's closing well off the day's highs with the Dow barely holding on to a gain, though the Nasdaq rose more than a percent. This is the Fed kicks off a two-day meeting tomorrow. Our next guest believes investors will have to cope with rolling corrections that will last beyond Election Day, but it's not a bearish call. Tony Dwyer is the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, great to see you. Um, so you still think we could hit record highs? Yeah, I don't think I, we're really focused on the long term here, which is an extraordinary setup. We've talked about it in the last couple of times I've been on the show, Mel. You've got a historic level of excess liquidity that's in the marketplace, coupled with a synchronized global pivot in the economy. It is really extraordinary. It looks so much like that fall of 2009 when you started a new economic and market cycle, but volatility picked up because you had had such a run off of the low. So the Fed, in your view, is sort of the floor under the market. The, the unknown that can cause this volatility is the elections? There's, so you've, have, you've got a bunch of unknowns. You've got election. You've got geopolitical risk with China. You've got COVID-19 vaccines. You've got um, economic, obvious economic recovery. Those are the unknowns, but they've been with us for the whole time. The one thing we do know is for the first time in my 30-plus year career, I got a Fed chairperson that's literally saying, don't worry about the deficits. We're just printing money, and they just revamped their policy to prove it. So when, when I've seen corrections, we, we were looking for a 3 to 7% correction. We're, we still are looking for multiple 3 to 7% corrections like the fall of 09. But in my career, I've always heard the Fed say, this isn't going to last forever. The deficits are unaffordable. At some point, we're going to have to pay the price. But the opposite has been said with this Fed. And the reason is low inflation has given them the ammunition to be able to do it. Tony, when you mentioned the synchronized global pivot, what, what precisely did you mean? And this, does this uh, assume that the U.S. economy is um, pivoting itself? Yep, it, it is. All the data is there. So, Mel, so let me explain the two factors, main factors I'm going to talk about for a long time. Excess liquidity is the amount of money in this, in, that's readily available against what is needed for economic growth. We saw a record move in that. Industrial production is picking up, so the economy is improving domestically. So that reading's coming down, which, which again reinforces that you're on the other side of a recession. And the global pivot in economic activity is the Organization of Eco Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, puts out a data series of the 37 economies they follow showing which ones have com uh, composite leading indicators showing positive gain or above average. That hit zero for two months in April and May. And then it pivoted off of that low with month-to-month -month readings of 90%. In other words, we, know, we knew that zero were positive, but that you were having every one, almost every one of them have an uptick month-to-month. -month. The only time I can find that happening is, again, the summer and fall of 2009. So our case isn't that this is going to get crazy with the election. Who knows which side is even going to accept the results? That can create the opportunity, but as long as you've got that combination of economic catastrophe and market sustained drops happen when there's a credit crisis mm -hmm. and you believe that you need money and don't have any access to it. 
the opposite is true today. And even though it's not a perfect, like, I don't want to go all the way back up in the next minute. I, I wish we did for the people that are unemployed and the small business owners, for sure. However, um, I would like to see a good, uh, consistent recovery because that keeps all the factors that are currently working for the market in play. Tony, good to see you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mel. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity. Tim, your thoughts? I think Tony did a fantastic job explaining monetary policy in the context of markets and, and the Fed put, which, which uh, I agree with and I've talked about. Um, if you buy that theory uh, and you buy some of that pivot on the leading indicators, remember, we're going to talk about FedEx uh, later in the show, um, FedEx, which started to trade off dramatically in January of 2018. There was a number of other leading indicator stocks and transports. Transports have outperformed the S&P by 25 percent since the lows of March, and they will continue to. But I, I related to that, again, the research trade. Look at things like Rio Tinto, a name, you know, Mel, we talked about a decade ago. Uh, that is at all-time highs, or it's about to near uh, post-crisis highs. Uh, Volley, uh, other resource companies. Those trades are part of this trade into the industrials, and those uh, mm -hmm. that I think were suffering and were leading indicators on the way down, those are some of the best charts in the market right now. I mean, Victoria, if you do believe Tony's thesis, you should want to be in cyclicals. Well, I think you want to have some exposure to cyclicals, right? Because you do have the Fed saying, look, we're going to be low with low rates till 2023. That's going to give equity valuations a boost. You're going to have liquidity in the market. And maybe that causes a little bit of inflation. But, I mean, does the Fed care? I don't think they do um, when they've talked about the new way that they're going to look at monetary policy. So you've got a runway there. We still think, though, that secular growth story is important, so we wouldn't do a full shift into cyclicals. We think you need to have kind of a barbell approach and have some of those names in there, but look at those growth names as well and keep those in your portfolio. They're still going to have some room to run. Coming up, Walmart takes on a titan. The retailer announcing its Amazon Prime competitor today. Will it help the stock get back to record highs? But first, Rosso is winding up for a fast pitch on the one retail name he thinks is ready to rip higher. We'll find out what it is and whether the rest of the desk is buying it when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Looking for an under-the-radar retail play? Steve Grasso's got a name he says could rally some 300%. Steve, take it away. So Capri Holdings, uh, pretty excited about this one. I mentioned it last week. So if you look at the LVMH and the Tiffany uh, deal or sort of deal or almost deal, kind of gives you the indication that luxury brands are going to be in focus. And if LVMH was looking for it, what are they going to be looking for next? Capri Holdings owns Versace and Jimmy Choo. I know Guy is fond of Jimmy Choo. Having said that, LVMH tried to buy both of those names in the past, which makes it even more interesting. Maybe they come knocking again. So now if you look at the premium brands, the standalone ones, they don't exist anymore. It makes it even more valuable. Let's look at the technicals on Capri. Last sale in the stock after hours is 22.90. It hasn't been above its 200-day moving average since January. It just started trading above it yesterday and today. Hugely constructive. Up 42% in a handful of days. Here's the biggest part of this bull case. Valuation. Valuation, based on the rest of the luxury brand space, is astronomical compared to what this one's trading at. This one's trading at roughly 12 and a half times just the luxury brand's earnings, Melissa. So that means if you extend it and say 
12 and a half times on what they're no, are earning in normalized earnings, you get to a number, a number of $44, 44, 45 bucks. Then you get your Michael Kors, a $4.3 billion revenue stream. Slap another 12 and a half percent on that. You get another $51 in earnings, brings you to $95. Last sale is $22.83. Could possibly trade just under par, 95 bucks. Wow. Victoria, you've got a question for Steve. I do. So, Steve, I know when we look at the luxury brands, the Chinese consumer is a huge component of that. And we see kind of a V-shaped recovery coming in China. But what about the rest of the world? Do you see that coming back anytime soon where people are actually going to go out and start buying these luxury products or even have a place to wear them? Yeah, so I, that's, that's a great point. I, I think when you look at China, they were first in, they'll be first out. And when you look at Europe, it's always in question whether we're going to have a second round or bout of this. But the truth is the consumer all over the world has been in a pretty good position. So they will spend money ultimately on luxury brands. And eventually, I'm sure they'll have a place to wear them. But a great question. All right. No more questions. It is time to vote. Are you buying or selling Grasso's pitch on Capri? Guy, what do you say? A <laughs> couple things. John Idle, their CEO, Georgetown Ties, wonderful operator, uh, somebody we should probably talk more about, number one. Number two, do you, believe, you know that whole thing, kismet? And, well, as it turns out, Mel, as you might see, I just happened to have my Michael Kors bag by me before the show started because I was headed mm. out later. So maybe that's fate. I'm with Steve on this one. That's an excellent power pitch by 386. Can you use a white bag after Labor Day? I, I, don't, I don't know if the rules still stand. <laughs> um, Clearly. Tim? <laughs> well, you're definitely not wearing seersucker. Um, we know that, Mel. And, and I'm actually trying to draw the Versace logo just because I love Versace. Uh, and any, any way I can get that thrown in there with Michael Kors. But Steve talked about some issues on, on valuation I think are important and the sequential growth that a lot of these brands have actually seen. I'm a buyer Versace. I'm a buyer Steve. <laughs> Victoria. So I'm going to be the lone wolf here and say no, but it's a no, not yet. I like the technicals. I'm not wearing Jimmy Choo's, but I thought I'd draw one there. Um, I like the technicals. I want to see them stay above that 200-day moving average a little bit longer before I jump into the name. Uh, but long term, I could see some potential. That is a nice stiletto that you drew, Victoria. Our traders have spoken, but now it is your turn. Are you voting for Grasso's pitch on Capri Holdings? Head to our Twitter poll. We will reveal the results at the end of the show. Up next... FedEx delivering on earnings. We will tell you what is driving the after-hours rally as that company's call gets underway. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on FedEx. The stock is rallying after hours with the company's earnings call now underway. Let's get to Frank Holland with the details. Frank. Hey there, Melissa. FedEx shares more than 8.5% higher after really delivering for investors. Beetle revenue profits more than 80% above estimates. As you mentioned, the earnings call started at 5.30. The company's saying it's not giving any guidance because of the uncertain environment while still forecasting a record-setting peak. CEO Fred Smith, he did give some insight into the company's preparations for the development and distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine. That discussion is still going on the call right now. So taking a deeper look at this quarter that just passed, the driver here was really residential delivery. The majority of that handled by ground. Revenues improving 36% year over year with a 31% increase in volume. And the majority of that believed to be residential delivery, which, according to Deutsche Estimates, is a third less profitable than B2B, expressing sing single digit increases in revenue and volume as well. 
per package numbers that many expected to be hurt by all this residential delivery, also showing that ground is the driver for FedEx. Ground revenue rising 2% per piece, Express falling by 2%. However, the big number that tells you just how good this quarter really was overall margin. That dramatically improved from 5.7% a year ago to better than 8% this quarter. Uh, I think FedEx apparently has figured out how to make money on all this B2C delivery. Back over to you, Melissa. Frank, thank you. Frank Holland with the details on FedEx. And that had been the problem. Um, the mix wasn't conducive to an improvement in operating margins. And here we are, as Frank had mentioned, 8.5% on operating margins. And that was way better than what analysts had expected uh, in the ballpark of around 6%. Tim, i got to go to you on this. Look, uh, vindication for Fred Smith and Co. And exactly that. I mean, the, the consensus is around five and a quarter on operating margin. Um, so yield improvements, B to C, which is a bigger part of the mix, as discussed, um, is important. Also, uh, not lost in this, but maybe it was uh, because annually they, they tend to raise their prices. But they raised prices in Ground and Express on Monday, and they raised them at the high end of the range, uh, especially on Express. So um, they're getting what they need, the, the improvement in the overall yield. Remember, this is a stock that fell 65 percent, again, from that. Jan 18 uh, blow off top for markets and also certainly for Uber cyclicals. It's now up 160 percent off the floor. It led the economy on the way down. Uh, what's it telling you on the way up? It's certainly telling you it's a much better run company. And I stay long. Yeah. Guy. Well, and he, Tim's been spot on. Karen as well. I'll say this. And Tim knows this. This level we're trading at now, sort of this 263 levels where it topped out in January 2018, and the margins were fantastic, especially the Express, which is there, obviously, uh, the mother of the business. But with that said, at a certain point, valuation catches up, and this stock is now up from a $90 level. You see where we're trading now. So I think if you've enjoyed this ride, I think it might not be a bad time to take some money off the table in FDX. Victoria, do you think FedEx is telling you something about the broader economy? I mean, if you're a believer in Dow theory, as some people are out there, you might think so. Well, I'm not sure if it's a, a great sign for the sheer fact that we know they're going to have an increase in B2C business for the sheer fact that everyone's ordering online because they can't go to the stores. I think as things start to open up, maybe we see that shift back more towards the story that we saw previously, the reason that we don't own it. And it's what Frank was talking about. The B2C is a, a smaller margin business, and we didn't like the way the valuation was playing out. So it's not something that we've owned. I think we might see a pullback as everything starts to open back up. So we're we're going to wait and see if we can get a better valuation play on this name. Coming up, Walmart's long-anticipated competitor to Amazon Prime is finally live. But is the retail giant really poised to take the e-commerce crown? We'll break that down. Plus, take a look at our Kramer cam. The CEO of Lennar joins Jim tonight on Mad Money. He'll give us his take on the Home Builders quarter as we head to break. A quick programming note, mark your calendars for September 30th. Delivering Alpha is back for its 10th year with an all-star lineup, including J.P. Morgan's Mary Erdos, Mark Lazary and Saudi Aramco's chairman. Visit DeliveringAlpha.com to learn more and register. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Walmart shares ticking higher after today's launch of the company's subscription service, Walmart Plus. The plan costs $98 a year compared to Amazon Prime's $120 price tag. But Walmart customers must spend at least $35 bucks for free shipping. Walmart chief customer officer has said that Walmart Plus does not intend to compete with anything else. But can it? Is this service enough to take away customers from Amazon? Is that even the right question Victoria, I mean, does it have to win over customers from Amazon or, or can it just even have the same customers? 
think you can have same customers, but over time, look, look five to ten years out, you're going to have a two-player game going on here, and it's going to be Walmart and it's going to be Amazon. And Walmart has put so much um, capital into their e-commerce infrastructure. That exponential growth we've seen during COVID of e-commerce buying and even people ordering online and then picking up in the store, that's been tremendous. And we think that's going to continue to grow, uh, to grow. They can get their groceries. They can get household goods. They can get clothes. I mean, here in Houston, Walmart was one of the very first stores to open up um, once we started opening things back up from COVID. And I think they're going to get some customers that way, gain customers from Amazon and keep them going forward. We like the position in our portfolio. I know Mike's going to talk about options. We own it in our option strategy as well. So we think there's a couple ways you can play Walmart here. Grasso? Yeah, I, I think that the last tick up at Walmart was the whole TikTok angle in the story. And with 55% groceries, I, I don't know if I really want to continue to re-rate the stock. It's come in about 10% pretty quickly. It's starting to form a little bit of a base here. I'd like to see it hold, but I do think that you're going to see some lower prices uh, going forward. And I don't think there's really any competition from the offering from an Amazon to what Walmart plus is. I get much more from my Amazon subscription than I do from Walmart. Meantime, traders over in the options market are feeling pretty bullish on what Walmart Plus could offer the retail giant. Mike Coase got the action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. So Walmart has seen uh, much more calls than puts trading over the course of the last couple of weeks. Some of that was related to the news that Steve was talking about. But then, of course, we had the news today about Walmart Plus launching, and we saw calls outpace puts by more than 11 to 1. One of the examples of some of the activity that we saw were the September 25th weekly 148 strike calls. Those are the calls that are going to expire a week from this coming Friday. One of the buyers in those paid a little over 70 cents for about 1,000. So the buyer of that call is betting about a half a percent of the current stock price just in case it retests those highs that we saw earlier that Steve was talking about. That's about 8% from where the stock is right now. And I would say... Personally, I think there might actually be a chance for Walmart to start competing a little bit with Amazon. Amazon used to be a very competitive place from a pricing perspective, but that might be a little bit less so right now. I may be signing up. I think they have a, a short grace period, and I'll be signing up as well as my Amazon Prime account, I think. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, the results from the fast pitch and your final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at Capri Holdings, up about 9%, 9.6% after hours. Grasso, remember, pitched at his next best idea. Somebody's buying the after-hour session, but you're not buying it in the poll because, sadly, Grasso, you struck out 56%, 57% now. Say no thank you to Capri. 43% say yes. <laughs> so we're giving you the dance version because it's even worse. Time to go around the horn well, for the final. The night. Oops. Final trade time. Tim. Yeah, look, the dance version hurts so good, though. So uh, good job for getting that getting that going. BH Pilton, uh, this is a stock that hurts so bad for so long. Uh, and as I mentioned, resource stocks have started to turn around. Look at copper prices. Look at iron ore prices. Uh, take a look at this one. Victoria. We are recommending ServiceNow. There is so much going on in this cloud space right now. We see the Snowflake IPO with the way businesses are changing uh, because of COVID. We think there's a lot of opportunity here, and they've got a long runway ahead of them, low net debt on their balance sheet. So ServiceNow is our recommendation. See, Grasso, what were you saying before? 
So I guess my final trade is going to be to stay consistent for pre-holdings and it being up over 9%. I guess those people were busy trading it versus voting on the Twitter poll. So I'm going to take that as a victory. <laughs> I'm still along the name. I think it's a great risk reward right here. We're just priming the pump right now. Once people start to look at these luxury brands, I think this thing is really going to outperform aggressively to the upside. Guy with your Michael Kors bag, what do you say? Yeah, my Michael Kors bag and I agree. Uh, Nike, just do it, Melissa. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.